This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. I often say bloating is not the enemy. Bloating is actually a a way for your body to raise a little red flag and say, I need help. So let's be grateful to the bloating. Let's welcome it into the discussion and let's see what it needs from us. Welcome to FemPower Health. Georgie here. I am so pleased to bring to you Dr. Edison DeMello. He is a physician and author who wrote the book, Bloated, How to Reclaim Your Gut Health and Eat Without Pain. And as he said in the preface of his book, I have seen thousands of patients whose debilitating symptoms have stolen not only their good health, but also their joy of eating, playing, living, and even making love. They represent more than 50% of my practice, and he has truly transformed the lives of so many people, including Lee Daniels, the writer, producer, and director who wrote a foreword to the book. And I'm confident that once you listen to this episode, you will feel as inspired as I did to reclaim your health. So let's just dive right in and hear what Dr. DeMello has to say in this amazing, heartwarming, and informative conversation. I'm really excited to talk about bloating. Recently, there was a young lady posting on TikTok. She was changing all of her outfits and was showing the clips of all of her outfits. And then she was like dancing around and she's drinking this green juice. And she says, I saw an influencer on social media talking about this green juice. And I feel really bloated today, but I'm about to go out. So I'm going to drink the green juice. And I, as someone who's been interviewing all these experts, my brain is like, no, we have to start with why are you bloated? The green juice <laughs> might not help. And so when I saw your book, I'm like, we, we have to, to discuss this. I have endometriosis and I've become really embedded in the endometriosis community. And what's interesting on social media is there's a lot of discussion about endo belly. And then there's all sorts of other things about health being discussed. And in reading your book, it was so interesting because I'm like, some of these, it seems like people still don't fully understand But what I thought we should first do is define what is bloating. So the best way is to differentiate bloating that is related to a functional of your system, something that you did that led to bloating, to bloating that is more a medical condition, medical meaning more of an urgent condition, right? So bloating, the way I talk in the book, is a bloating bloating that results from something that you have eaten, or something that you have drunk, and then um, and suddenly you feel that your body's reacting, that your your belly feels like a balloon, and that kind of bloating comes and goes. It feels very uncomfortable. There's not much you can do. It feels very gassy. You feel uncomfortable. Eventually, if you don't eat for several hours, that bloating diminishes. 
it doesn't go away 100% because that bloating is a function of your microbiome being out of balance. And the microbiome is this array of bacteria in your gut that helps you to break down the food. So bacteria is, I wrote a paper at one time that said bacteria, friend or foe, right? This bacteria is incredibly needed for everything that we do, like from the beautiful, delicious cheese that we eat, to the wine that people like to drink, to our hair, to our skin. Bacteria is essential for our everyday life. But bacteria can also kill you, right? So, so what's the difference? The difference is balance. It's feeling really balanced and understanding that the bacteria, when it overgrows, it's, it's giving a message to your body that says something is off. Please look at it. And that it's not necessarily the enemy. It's I actually think of it as an opportunity for us to kind of take a step back and question our, and ask ourselves a question. What is my body telling me? So that's the functional bloating that I talked about in the book. It's bloating that is related to either food that you ate, drink that you had, too much sugar, uh, sometimes too much processed food, an imbalanced meal that is not really appropriately balanced with carbohydrates, veggies, and protein. So that's the bloating that we are addressed later on. The bloating, the other bloating, if somebody comes in and I take a look at them and I say, how long have you, blo have you been bloated? And they say, I've been bloated for about three months and nothing I do will go away. And I asked them, do you wake up bloated? And they said, yes. Do you go to bed bloated? And they said, yes. Does the bloating come and go during the day? And they said, no, it's always consistent. So now my mind is thinking there's something else that is happening in her body that is not necessarily a function of the food. Right. It may Right? Maybe somebody has a lot of fluid in the gut, secondary to hormonal issues. For instance, that women retain water. Uh, recently, I had a patient come in, unfortunately, with what she thought was she, she had a problem with bloating. She had read the book. It turned out that she had ovarian cancer. The bloating had to do with ovarian cancer. And how did I defer that when she first came in? By focusing on those questions. She woke up bloated every day. Nothing that she did when, uh, made it go away. Nothing that she did made it worse. So I said, we need to get an ultrasound. And we went to the ultrasound that there was. So that's the, that's, that's the first step, differentiate bloating from a functional result. Functional meaning it's a function of something that we're doing that our bodies does, do not like. Okay. Versus more of a medical urgency, something that your body is doing that says, you know, there's too much water here, there's too much gas here, let's go take care of it. So here's a question, this might be overly simplistic, but especially for those who have the consistent bloating, how do you know if it's being overweight versus bloating? Like, is that easy to tell? Yes, it is. It is actually, that's an ex excellent question again, Georgie. You look at the whole habit, body habitus of the person. Okay. If I have a patient who is bloated and I look at her arms or his arm and they're not increased in weight, so to speak, or fat, right? I look at the legs that are appropriate to the person's size. 
but it's mostly in her belly or his belly. That's abdominal bloating. That's the girth, the abdominal girth that is increased. Now, when I look at a person who is perhaps more bloated in the belly, but everything is swollen, so to speak, or everything is increased in weight, that's more of a function of weight gain of, and not necessarily gastrointestinal bloating alone. What would you say are some of the common myths around bloating that you've seen, or maybe even misunderstandings that you've seen with your patients? Um, well, I don't know if there's a misunderstanding or more of a function of how they feel. A lot of it is shame. Okay. A lot of shame. And when you add shame to the equation, it becomes really hard for us to be able to eliminate the bloating because you cannot eliminate the bloating until you get to the shame. Right. Right? So especially women, fortunately, and not surprisingly, there's a lot of pressure in women in this country, in the world, to conform to specific body type. And we don't conform to that. There's something wrong with you. There's something off with you. I think we as humans don't understand that people have different body shapes, body habitus. Uh, ethnically, we are different, and the ethnic, ethnicity leads to different body habitus. And so when we try to conform to the standard American way or European way, and if we don't feel into, fit into that, specific for women, as I said, it's a lot of shame. And I think that's really hard for anybody who's interested who's in that space of helping people with bloating to help them eliminate the bloating or to address it by bypassing the shame. You have to address the shame head on. So that's the first one. The second one is that bloating is something that everybody feels all the time. So what is the big deal? You eat some foods that your body don't like, you get bloated and it's going to go away. And so there is the, the, it's more of like a, a rationalization, it's, you know, and when push comes to shove and I sit with them and I do a little bit of the psychological assessment, it's clear that that's rationalizing the issue. And again, because there is a sense of feeling victimized by the whole thing, because the thing that's when Bloating is a function of a lifestyle. Unless you change a lifestyle, bloating is always going to be there. And people think that, oh, if I just come to Dr. DeMello, to a practitioner that is in that space, and we address bloating without addressing me, it's going to go away. And so I often say bloating is not the enemy. Bloating is actually a, a way for your body to raise a little white flag and say, or red flag and say, I need help. So let's be grateful to the bloating. Let's welcome it into the discussion and let's see what it needs from us. Um, so I think that would be the second or third uh, issue. Um, interesting, the fourth issue is that bloating is more common in women than in men. And so it's more like a women issue. And so when I see men come in, and they're bloated or they're complaining their wife is bloated, they say, well, we should just stop eating the way she does. She, the bloat would go away. But the stop eating is more like 
you're doing something wrong that is causing that as opposed to you don't know what food your body's reacting to. So let's have a little compassion here and let's help her understand that it's all about knowledge, that the body has a language, right? And you're a mom of your seven-year-old son now. And when your son and my children were little, they were crying. And in that crying, they were trying to communicate with us. And our job as the caretakers was to interpret that crying and decipher it into what they're trying to sell us. Are they hungry? Are they wet? Is this estranged anxiety? And with time, you understand that sometimes the crying pitch means something different. Correct? Well, that's the body. Your body does the same very thing. It's trying to communicate with you. Sometime in our lives, we become the father, the mother to our body, right? We put it to sleep. We feed it. We protect it from being hit by a car. We shower it. So that's the job of a mother. And so at some time in our lives, we become the mother or the father to our bodies. And so as the father and the mother, when the body is communicating with us, either via bloating or any other symptoms, our job is to listen. To step away and say, I want, I'm curious about what my body is trying to tell me. When I ask that question to people, I usually get two answers. One is like, oh, I don't know. Or there's the question, wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, I think it's telling me something and I don't know what it is. And then I take it further. I say, okay, so write a script about it. If you're writing a script, if you're writing a story about this, make something up. What would it say? And usually the first two or three answers is exactly what we need to go with it. That's, the, that, that's what I find when people, when I pose the question to them. And so I think it is when we look at bloating as the body really trying to communicate with you because it wants to get better. Mm-hmm. The body and you have something in common or many things in common. We are the host to this incredible temple this thing that we don't even think about it, how it does what it does. The idea that you and I can just open our mouth and communicate and I can hear you and you can hear me, it's, it's incredible. Right. How does that happen? Our vocal cords, the sound, we can hear the little hair ceiling in our ears vibrating so that we can hear each other. I need to get up to go drink water. My body adjusts to the to the atmospheric pressure so that I won't fall. All of that is the incredible beauty of this body. And so when we understand that, this magic, then we go like, okay, body, I'm curious about what you're trying to tell me about bloating. And when you approach that with that curiosity, with that partnership with your body, the possibility that the answer will come to you easier than otherwise is immense. In your book, you share so many different patient stories. And I think back to the equivalent um, that many women talk about. You know, I interview a lot of um, OBGYNs and pelvic floor experts, and they talk about like women have such shame over like, have they shaved? Do they have a different smell? And with bloating, I feel like it's an even different level of possible embarrassment because you shared examples of like, you know, like deadly smelling gas that someone is passing like all day long or on an airplane. So you provided so many different examples. And I just wanted to bring attention to that because 
you know, I think um, we live in our own bodies and in a lot of times, depending on the thing that we're facing, we go into a corner and think it's only us. And I always like to start with painting a picture for people of like, no, this is actually quite common. And a lot of people are suffering in silence. And if, if, uh, if they don't believe us, then they should read your book and read the stories. Cause you shared a lot of, you, you had the, uh, the, the husband who didn't think he had a problem and finally listened to you and then felt amazing. You know, the yeah. person on the plane that cleared the plane because of their um, passing gas. So all the different versions are there, the kids, you name it. So I appreciated you sharing that because I mean, okay, fine. It's okay to feel icky about it, but this is why doctors like you exist because you genuinely want to help. But it's not like yeah. one person in the world is dealing with this. There's actually quite yeah. a bit. And it's, it is, I'm, I mentioned in the book, and, and I'm sensitive of using this word, pandemic, pandemic, because we're dealing with, an, with a very, very uh, difficult to crack pandemic. I, and so I don't use that lightly, but I, I do see bloating as another, you know, as endemic, mm-hmm. because why is that? I mean, we are, first of all, we are overly populated. We know this, right? We have what, close to 8 billion people on the planet right now, seven and a half billion, right? Our food sources are less organic than ever before. We are mass producing food. We are bringing food from different corners of the world before they're ready to be picked. We're picking those fruits and vegetables. So there's not a sense that we are working with nature. In some ways, we're working against nature and we are putting that stuff in our bodies. And so there is the sense that people are kind of lost in this and that the shame is huge, especially and I don't see this lightly with a lot of compassion. I have a 25 year old daughter and I watch her navigate the world as a very smart young woman, having to deal with the isms of the world as a woman. And if a man gets bloated, is bloated, they look at him differently. Oh, yes. this guy's probably so tired, working so hard, probably doesn't have any time to eat, poor guy. If a woman is bloating, there's something wrong with her. Maybe she's lazy. Maybe she's not taking care of herself. Doesn't really care about her body. Yeah. And so the 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 way men and women are treated in medicine and in bloating um, is really ugly, and it's it, it needs to change. In the book, Georgie, I give that example of the woman who came in into the hospital when I was an attending physician, and I brought her as as she agreed to come in to help me train the resident. And there was a resident who I chose to name Paul, who first assumed that she's pregnant. Yep. I remember that. <laughs> right? I mean, this is what people deal with. Women deal with. And then never, never, never asked her anything else that was not related to pregnancy. It was like, you must be pregnant. Right? She's a little overweight. She has a belly. She comes in, well, you must be pregnant. And in that, there's a judgment, right? Almost like a judgment that it's like, oh, this is pregnancy. Why are you here? Why are you complaining about it? You got pregnant. And that's what, that's what a lot of my patients come in um, with this history of not being seen. Yeah. They are not seen, right? One of the things that I talk in the book about is like my goal as a physician, 
as a trainer of physicians, as an attending physician, is to teach people to meet their patients before they meet their diseases. I love that quote in the book, by the way. I love that quote. Thank you. If they don't meet the patient, Paul didn't meet my patient. Right. He met her body and he had the judgment. A judgment meaning you must be pregnant. So why are you here? Right. And so I think that's what we need to break away from is the idea that let's stop victimizing people. Let's stop judging people. Um, even when we have our own feelings about it, but let's stop projecting. It, this is not my story. My story doesn't have to match hers or his. Let me be curious about what's her story, right? What What is it that, that led to this particular moment in time of, of bloating? And right. how, what is it that I can do? Three steps that I can take in this visit to help her first be seen, right? second to feel better. Right. You know, it's interesting because on the one hand, it's so simple, right? On the other hand, it's not. So, you know, your book has so much information about different testing that can be done, different causes, you know, supplements, types of food. And even as you said, like, don't just, you know, read this book and take every single supplement off the shelf, take it and your bloating will be gone. Um, You even say, go to someone who is an expert. Um, And I'm glad you put that in there, by the way, because I was that fertility patient. I would read the book. Oh, so I need to take that. Okay. And I'd read the other book. Oh, and take these other five things. And it was like the the bowl, the breakfast bowl of supplements every morning. It was a nightmare. So um, I'm glad you put that caveat in there that you need need the advice of an expert. Um, But, you know, again, people can read the details and nuances, but, you know, is this really as simple as optimizing our gut health and that's really it and it just manifests in different ways so there's like a lot of nuances in the way this um, imbalance in our gut tends to manifest and so I don't know if there's any comments you want to share there because I guess I'm just thinking I'm a patient I've got this bloating and let's say I'm mentally prepared to actually address it because a lot of us are are shame or don't want to see the doctor or don't want to come to face the facts that we're dealing with this, like, how would I even know where to begin to start addressing it? And maybe what are some mistakes people make early along their journey? Okay. Um, Well, we asked a very, very interesting question in the beginning of this segment when you said, is it, is it that simple as just changing a lifestyle? Right. I wish I could say yes. It is that simple, Darn it. but it's I not. Tried. <laughs> I tried. I did. I thought we were going to save the world in five minutes. I know. I know. <laughs> Me too. I wish I had a magic wand because people suffer from this. It's not as simple and it's totally attainable. So okay. that's, that's the thing that I want your audience to take home. It's not simple. It requires commitment beyond what you think you have been able to commit to before. Okay. Remember, you're committing to your child, your body, and this is going to sound a little corny, but it's true. Your body is your firstborn. You become the mother to your body. And so you need to take care of your body first before you take care of anybody. That's why when you get in an airplane, they tell you to put the mask on you first. Why is that? It has nothing to do with spirituality. I want to help people and be 
and be a good Samaritan. It has to do with physiological needs. Without oxygen, you'll pass out. If you pass out, you cannot help people. That's what it is. It's a physiological need. But I tell you, Georgie, you and your audience, after you know almost 30 years of do doing this, it is attainable. I've seen it. I've seen people write about it. People become coaches about it. All what it takes is, first of all, is for you to step away from, again, from thinking that there's something wrong with you. That's the first step. Because, you know, the universe, it's pretty, it's pretty, manageable, it's pretty malleable to what you're thinking. Right? If you get up in the morning and you say, oh, God, it's going to be a horrible day. Okay. It's going to be a horrible day. And everything conspires around you to make sure that your belief system is correct. Right. If you get up in the morning and you say, I don't know what the day is going to be like. The world is a bit crazy, but I'm going to make my best out of it. And I'm going to have a good time. Okay. So this so-called universe, which is an energy around you, says yes to everything that you're thinking. And so the point is, let's look at your thinking pattern. What do you think about this ease, this ease, right? You're not at ease. What's the first step here? What is it in your life? that may be contributing to bloating, right? First of all, you are what you eat. So it is true, but not the only truth. So you are what you eat. So let's look at your diet. Let's look at your lifestyle. Let's look at your thinking. What you think this bloating is here for? And not that you have to be philosophical about it and go into this psychological journey. But say, if bloating had a purpose in your life, what would that be? And you'd be surprised, especially with... Because people are so, there's so much expectations that when you reach a certain age, you should have accomplished this, you should have accomplished that, you should have this many children or not this many children. So there's all those things that become subconscious. So when I ask my patients, my female patients, specifically, you know, middle-aged, I say, okay, so if bloating had a purpose in your life, crazy question, right? but let's, let's just go there. If bloating had a, had a purpose in your life, what would that be? And they usually, sometimes they kind of take a step back, look at me like, okay, is this guy for real here? Burp, bloating, have a purpose? I said, yeah, let's look at that. Oh, bloating is, is giving me, you know, my marriage is not working. I don't want to have a, any intimacy. It's keeping that, it's making that easy. You know, it's like, honey, I have the headache. Honey, I'm bloated. And so it's not just stop eating those bad foods and everything's going to go away. It involves more of your gut feelings. Now remember, your gastrointestinal system is the second largest system in your body. Your skin, uh, the second largest organ in your body, your skin being the first one. The definition of an organ is that it absorbs and excretes, right? That's your skin. You put something that absorbs and you, you sweat it out. So it absorbs and, 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 and excretes. And the skin is the largest organ. The second largest organ it's your gut. The average woman has anywhere from 30 to 40 feet of gut. Here's the thing with, about the gut. The gut is like that, except that each coil, each different turn has a function. It has enzymes that's being released. It has a metabolic function. So when you look at the gut, because it's so connected to your brain, when you're hungry, the brain needs food, gives a message to the gut, and the, and the brain says to the gut, prepare for landing. Yep. 
right? Which means that you release digestive enzymes, hydrochloric acid, which gives you the so-called, you know, hunger pains. It's a beautiful process. It's called the gut-brain axis. And so it gives this message there and your brain prepares for eating and it releases all those enzymes. We all clear without that. Well, what, how does a gut respond when you're sad, when you're upset, when you're depressed, when you're anxious? The same way. It sends a message down to the gut, the gut that produces the feel-good hormone, the serotonin. It's now you know, receiving this message from the brain and it's discombobulated. It's out of balance. So the brain is to the gut what your heart is to your feelings, right? It's that this is connection. That's why in, in English, and I, I love the English language, I speak a couple of languages because it's a very, being a Germanic language, it's very well defined. So when we say that the English language, in my experience, is one of the languages that has the most connotation to the gut is that to the gut, to the gastrointestinal system. We say things, for example, what's your gut feeling, right? Or we say things like, I'm so nervous. I feel like I have butterflies in my stomach. When we have pain, somebody hurts us. God, I feel like somebody knocked in my stomach. So neurolinguistically speaking, the gut and your feelings are very, very connected. And so that's why I say to my patients, Let's take care of the bloating, look at the foods, doing stool testing, looking at what you're ingesting. But let's, let's not forget your feelings. We don't have to do psychotherapy here, but let's at least address them. It's like when you put down on paper, I'm feeling ashamed of my bloating and it's keeping me from dating. That is out in the world. You didn't say to the world, but you got it out of your body. So it's like when we're feeling upset and you cry, you feel better. Mm-hmm. <sighs> It's the same thing. So in going back to the question, is is bloating a simple, as simple as stop eating? Now you know why it's not. Right. But it's not impossible. In fact, it's very possible that one can really resolve bloating and put that behind you and always have the memory of bloating was because you learned how to connect with your body in a different way. Right. This this is makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. And, you know, it was interesting when I was reading your book, I guess one of the things that I would, I was really curious about, because you talked about things like the SIBO test, like the breath test and the FODMAP diet and all of these different things. And, you know, it's, it's surprising to me that, yes, there are a lot of things like ovarian cancer, there isn't a diagnostic test, but the, the SIBO test, like, that's a very clear, it's an actual test that will tell you something. But I got the sense that some of these diagnostics to help with root cause aren't necessarily being done and it's leading to a delayed understanding of the root cause. Is that something that you're seeing? And, and if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, Another excellent question, Georgie. Yeah, it's a sad, it's a sad reality that some of my colleagues out there simply do not believe in SIBO. Oh, that's why. Okay. Oh, yeah. A lot of SIBO is, presents, you know, a lot of SIBO is more common in women than men. She's being hysterical. She's being too emotional. She needs to lose weight. She needs to stop eating the bad foods. 
it's people were stuck into the IBS lingo, right? Uh, the um, inflammatory bowel uh, syndrome. But when you do, what IBS describe, it's not the root cause, it's the symptoms. If you think about it, IBS describes the symptoms. It doesn't tell you how you got it. Right. Well, SIBO does. It stands for small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. What is the small intestinal bacteria overgrowth? What's growing inside of you, the bacteria overgrowth, is, is part of your normal flora. In most cases, it just overgrew. No different than what happens to your beautiful lawn if you don't mow it. It's going to keep growing, 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 and it's going to obscure the whole thing. In your gut, when it keeps growing, those bacteria keeps growing, it leads your immune system into overreaction, right? It's overactive. It's reacting about these bacteria that is causing all these conditions that uh, of which bloating, gases, you know, feeling abdominal pain is part of it. But because it's a relatively not new, but it's 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 not as uh, it hasn't been around as a definition as long as uh, IBS has. A lot of people don't believe in it. It's and really? so yeah. I guess I've heard about it so much that I did not even know that that was the case. So then you were saying that IBS is a symptom. So then... It's a set of symptoms. A set of symptoms, I should say. You're right, set of symptoms. So is all of this just gut health? And yes. everyone's using different terminology and it manifests yeah. in different ways. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like I just did, again, I did the interview on acne. I'm listening to you and I'm like, do we do we need to like change all of medicine structure and like have like a gut health clinic? And then you yes. have like the the spokes of like... Okay, yeah. here's the dietitian, and <laughs> you know, um, I you bring out another very interesting point. About four years ago, I think, uh, I wrote a chapter uh, in a book of uh, Andrew Wild. Andrew Wild is the father or the grandfather now of integrative medicine, and he has a series of books that he puts out every three to four years called um, the Integrative Medicine Series, and the okay. one that he did last was on addiction and I was invited to write on food addiction as it relates to the gut. What became clear that I needed to write about there, the microbiome is such a powerful organ-like system that we should stop making it part of a GI tract alone and see it as part of GI tract but also its own individual organ, kind of the lungs. Right, the lungs are connected to your heart. It's called the cardiopulmonary system. But we also can talk about the lungs and the heart separately. And so in the research that I did, George, what became clear was that we need to look at the microbiome. The microbiome is the agglomeration of all the good bacteria and the bad bacteria that's working for one single purpose, to help you digest your food. We've never seen a microbiome. Most of us have not. But most of us have seen a beehive. And if you look at a beehive, you're looking at an analogy of the microbiome. Right? So let's break it apart. The beehive, thousands and thousands of bees working with one single goal. And that goal is to make honey. What, what does it need? Well, it needs pollination, good food. Well, the microbiome needs good food. 
in its water, well, the microorganisms water, you cannot be using a lot of pesticides, right? And the beehive, you're going to kill. Well, don't put a lot of, of uh, antibiotics in your gut. Don't right. put a lot of processed food in your gut. Don't put a lot of junk in your gut because you're going to kill your beehive in your gut, right? And most importantly, it needs a bee, it needs a beekeeper that knows how to take care of that bee by not poking it, by staying away. So the beehive to nature, what the microbiome is to us. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And so with that in mind, you know, I think you're right. I think what happens out there is that, and some of my colleagues who may be hearing this, I wanted to apologize ahead of time. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm making <laughs> my, it, this is my own feelings, my observation colleagues. But I think a lot of doctors, when they don't know about what's happening, they tend to ignore it and blame the patient. Oh, that doesn't exist. Instead of saying, well, interesting. I'm curious about that. You know, I, I don't have a lot of knowledge about that. Let's look for somebody who has. We don't do that. There's a lot of ego in medicine, as you have, uh, as you probably can attest in your interviews. And so I think the problem lies in that we there's a lot of pressure in doctors that we need to know everything, right? Uh, and when you feel that, when you embrace that, that pressure from society from patients from yourself then you don't give yourself a chance to say you know what i don't know about this right. it sounds like there's such such a movement towards this so many people are talking about it they're tests about it other than saying oh it doesn't exist let me say i'm going to learn about this or i'm going to say to the patient i'm not the right person to answer that question let's find somebody but right. that's that that involves having to let go of your ego and that can be hard no. <laughs> You know, it's interesting when I did interview that IBS expert out of the UK, we talked a lot about the the gut microbiome and stool testing. And um, he said something so interesting. He says, not in my lifetime, he's older, he's probably in his 80s. Um, he said, not in my lifetime, but it's going to get to the point where just like you get your basic blood work at your annual physical, they're going to take a stool sample and they're going to call you up and they're going to say, these are the three um, bacteria that are out of balance or I don't know, whatever your, your report comes back, it'll say, these are the exact strains of probiotics that you should be taking to restore your gut health. And he's like, that's the future of, of medicine. I mean, granted that is assuming you're not also eating a cheeseburger for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Let's clarify exactly, that. Exactly. Um, and George, it's already here that, that kind of, uh, that kind of, uh, of, uh, uh, approach that the, the the doctor in England took in explaining to you is so right on. It's already here. There's a lot of research being done yes. connecting the genetic composition of each of those bacteria and how it relates to you. And, uh, and COVID, it's really advancing our standing, our understanding of the genetic component of viruses of bacteria because that's what we needed to do to understand it. So more than ever, this approach that this this physician in England um, shared with you, um, I, I say it's already here. Is it widely popular or available to patients? No. But more and more, we have tests like GI map. We do our, right? You've heard of it. So, or you, you're familiar with it. So we do GI map. We stick in a bacteria that is in there. That is in there. Or it's another test that we use called the Genova test. 
We did the Genova test, which uh, helps us evaluate your microbiome. So do these tests evaluate and give you, because what he was saying is right now we're in a state where there's a lot of tests, but then do people always know what to do with it? No. Okay. No. Yeah. Yes, that's what he was saying. Correct. Yeah. 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 Some of us, some of us, myself included, we have learned how to take care of it by trial and error. You know, you've, I've read a lot about it. I've done, you know, created programs like a reset program that reset your microbiome, that resets your lifestyle. And then I step back and I say, hmm, for instance, you know, everybody talks about fiber, 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 fiber. Fiber is not always, most of the time, it's not good when treating SIBO. Yep. Right? And so we are, but where is this? Now we have a lot of research doing that. But in the beginning, when I was doing this some 20 years ago, before this was even popular, um, there was nowhere to go, you know? And when I wrote my doctorate dissertation in 1996, I wrote a doctorate dissertation called Gut Feelings, Psychosocial <laughs> Factors in Gastrointestinal Disease. My doctorate committee barely accepted that that was a valid research for me to present. Wow. This is 1996. This is not 50 years ago. I had to really convince them that there was something here that I wanted to pursue and to study. And my chair at the time, brilliant man, but couldn't think outside the box. The fact that I was saying, look, in, in our language, we say gut feelings. So let's look at this feeling. And it's like, oh, that's just a term that we use. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And look at where we are now. Imagine where we'll be in like, you know, another 20, 30 years. It's going to be unbelievable. It's exciting. When I look at what's coming next, is that you're going to use your thumb or anything and put on a little electrode and the computer is going to show your DNA and what medications, foods or viruses or genetic disease you're prone to. That's going to be amazing because it you're right. It is all like even in your book when you talked about what is going to work for you for the bloating. I mean, it's still you know a bit of trial and error. Like there's certain things that are probably fairly consistent. Um, I think the obvious ones of you know not going to McDonald's for every every meal, um, but you know it, it it is a lot of trial and error. And I can see in this quick fix society how people may get frustrated. Like I'm thinking back to your question of what do you think your gut is telling you. You know, even though I, I fully know that we have to take the time and assess, and I've done my own through my fertility journey and other things, even I was like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? What, what is my bloating trying to tell me? I don't want to talk about that. I need my prescription, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I love your honesty and, and it can only help your listeners by you using your own personal experience as, as you coach them in a way through this. Um, but you're right. I mean, we all want a quick fix. It's the, our culture. It's the American culture. We are a very immediate culture. We are a culture of immediate gratification, right? We want it and we want it yesterday, <laughs> right? And to say when somebody comes to me and says, okay, I'm bloated. I read your book. Okay, tell me what I can do to be less bloated. And I said, well, you, I can help you be less bloated, but we're going to have to do some some." You know, a little investigation here. Look at what your body's selling you. Look at the foods that you're eating. Look at your lifestyle. Do you sit eating? The, do you eat sitting down, standing up? Do you drink or, with a straw? What is the purpose of bloating in your life? Do you like yourself right now? 
you know, yeah. when I asked those questions, you know, eventually they will either stay really connected with me or they'll say, this is not for me. Earlier today, I was talking to a client and I equate that because I, I, by day I'm a consultant for the industry and they're like trying to rush through something. And I was like, hold on a minute. And I, I kind of equate this to what happens with our health journey. It's like the upfront is painful. So I was like, guys, I know you want to just check and say you got it done. But I promise you, if you don't take like a week or two to just think through everything and plan it out on the back end, you're going to waste millions of dollars and never get it done anyways. So take a couple weeks because I found even in my own health journey, like I now know the triggers and it takes me like a couple days to recover. But I now know, okay, so if I want to feel great because I have something to do, then I know not to eat it. And it's very clear, black and white, I'm resolved and I'm healed. But I do think this quick fix, it's so quick that it's it almost probably makes things worse in the long run. It does. Yeah, again, it does because it, you're not solving the problem. You are, you, are, you are sweeping under the rug. And when it comes back, bacteria are very smart. Bacteria creates film a film around them it's called the the you know the microfilm the biofilm they they protect themselves they go hiding they go in hibernation yep. so unless you take the time like you said in your analogy with your business consulting you take the time to really understand what's happening and collect data like you did you collect data that's not to be ashamed of to feel guilty that should be celebrated wow look i learned something and, and when you tell people to collect data about their health, uh, and they do that, it's phenomenal. I often use, uh, you know, if you know this, a quote from Thomas Edison, and I'm paraphrasing this whole thing, but the gist of it is that somebody asked him, so you try to create the light bulb 1,100 times and you failed. What did it take for you to stay on and to stay so committed? And he said, quote, failed. I never failed. I was collecting data. And that's what I share with my patients often. You know, I don't, when people come in and say, okay, Dr. D, you asked me to stay away from, you know, sugar. You know, it was my son's birthday and I had friends over. I not only had a slice of it, but I overdid it. And I said, okay, what's the data that you collected? You know, that's wonderful because now you are well informed. Yeah. The idea about this whole thing about bloating is the idea to commit to yourself, like I said, judgment-free, committed, stop judging and realizing that it's a process and you're going to collect yeah. data. If you commit to yourself, if you stop the red tape that judges you all the time, if you treat yourself like you would treat your son who was sick, then you're halfway there. Exactly. No, I love that. So with the menstrual cycle, you know, we know that as women, our hormones change throughout our menstrual cycle. And as a result, different things happen with our body. And so, you know, when is it that we would say for those of us who may bloat at certain times throughout our menstrual cycle, is it if it's a consistent type of body change, is it fine and we just let it be? And when does it become something where we should see uh, a doctor about? Again, great question. So most women or a great majority of women will feel bloated during the menstrual cycle because they're retaining water. As you know, estrogen is a retaining water kind of hormone 
or that allows the water to be retained. So I would say that if you don't have a significant history of bloating, and you're bloating during your ovulation, you know, you hit that 14-day, you're ovulating, you feel bloated, I would say talk to your doctor, talk to your practitioner about how to feel comfortable in that bloating, but it's it's likely not a measure or not a symptom of that you are bloating because it's a functional issue with your gut. If, however, your bloating continues on, and it's more accentuated during bloat during a menstrual cycle, then you do have a bloating issue that gets more severe, that gets worse during bloat during your menstrual cycle, which is often happen, right? Women either are not bloating at all for most of the month, and then during those five to seven days, they feel horrible, they feel bloated. I say a lot of support, a lot of trying to minimize the implication, the uncomfortableness, but it's I don't think it's a gastrointestinal issue. I think it's more of a hormonal issue, which sometimes can be addressed, by the way. Women don't have to feel extremely bloated during menstrual cycle. That's not a normal state of being a menstruating woman. The bloating during menstrual cycle should never be severe. If it's severe, we need to look at hormonal metabolism. There are women, however, who are prone to bloating. They're prone to bloating, and during the menstrual cycle, it gets really severe. And that's when we have to say, okay, let's go take care of the bloating because the menstrual cycle is only making it worse, but it's not what's causing it. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. And then the next one is the endo belly, which I brought up at the very beginning and might have mentioned a couple of times. So this is something I didn't really know about until it was posted on social media. Um, so those with endometriosis, they will often just look pregnant. And I don't know if it's a made up thing, um, if it's a coincidence that it's folks with endometriosis. I don't know if you've heard patients talking about it. I also know that there seems to be this discussion between the endometriosis and IBS community of, is it IBS? Is it endo? And so I am, I am uh, now polling. I'm now gathering data because I'm talking to a few experts who are covering nuances around this space to get all the different perspectives. Um, so I'd love to get get your perspective on this endo belly that uh, so many have been talking about. Okay, so so there is a connection between endometriosis and IBS in that the symptoms are very very identical. It's very easy to find out which one is it. With endometriosis, you can get an ultrasound and you can look for the lining of your uterus and you can see how thick it is, how thin it is, and so that will say. If you look at the at the at the patient's uterus, and the lining of the uterus is normal. Uh, if there is no no masses in there, then it's likely more SIBO than endometriosis. What they refer to endobelly has to do with inflammation, uh, and both IBS and endometriosis, endobelly have you know one of the common denominator is inflammation. You're inflamed. But why do you bloat when you have an endometriosis? The same way that if you cut your hand, you'll notice the next day it's puffed, it puffed up. Because the body is so smart, water runs to the part of the inflammation for two things, to squash out the inflammation and hopefully to wash it off. So when you have endometriosis, by definition, it's an inflammatory condition which is going to make the lead the patient to retain water because she is inflamed. And so 
that's why what they refer to endobelly, meaning the belly that looks pregnant because you are retaining fluid in there, you are inflamed, and with that inflammation comes bloating. And so what to treat? First of all, decide which one is it. I would do a cyborg test, right? Do the breast test or the cyborg test, see if it's negative or positive, or if you don't even want to do the test, talk to your gynecologist and say, can we differentiate if this is bloating um, because of IBS or SIBO, or if it's bloating because of metriosis through an ultrasound? Most women who have endometriosis already have an ultrasound because that's how we we identify or we diagnose right. it. It's funny. I used to get it very consistently, and it's kind of gone away. But I'm not even going to try to say what I do because I don't want people to think, oh, Georgie said this, just like that person. I'm going to drink the green juice before I go to my party and I'm going to not feel bloated. <laughs> but here's the thing why you go away, Georgie. It's go away because you were eating a non-inflammatory diet. Yeah. And so that's, that's the name of the game for every inflammatory-like condition, which is most of our conditions, right? We die because our cells get inflamed. Maybe the cardiac cells, the kidney cells, the lung cells, no matter where it is, they get inflamed. And, and that, that inflammation leads to cell deaths. What's, the, what's the, the condition that links all medical conditions? What's the common denominator? Inflammation. You sneeze because your body's trying to make sure that you don't get inflamed. You have cancer because you're inflamed. So look at the two extremes and the common denominator in there is inflammation. So by yeah. eating an anti-inflammatory diet, you're only helping strengthen your immune system. When you don't cheat or when you don't allow yourself to be somewhat flexible once in a while, you are not really being true to yourself. This is part of the human suit. We, we love pleasure. And most important, collect data so that you can use it as an information to your system. So yeah, be human, be loving to yourself, be your best, be the best parent to your body you can be, and allow life to just lead you through this incredible journey, you know? And 90% of the time, eat an anti-inflammatory diet. <laughs> I would say, I would say, I, I, uh, you're right. I would say 98%. I'll be a little 98, strict. 98, 98%. Okay, 98, 98. But I will say, like, when I read Lee Daniels' forward um, to your book and I saw your lovely quotes, I was like, I cannot wait to meet uh, Dr. DeMello. So thank you so much for making time. Um, this was such a great discussion. And for anyone who wants all the details, I mean, it's all in your book. I wanted this to be more of an overlay. I didn't want to repeat what's in your book because it's very easy to go through and very clear um, to give people guidance to empower them uh, in those conversations with their healthcare providers. So yeah. thank you for that. Check out the book and check out my link in the show notes for all the information that we discussed. So thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be part of this incredible conversation. Thank you for having me.